Well, if you're joining us um, and maybe haven't joined us before, my name's Joel, and um, we have been walking through the, the Gospel of Mark for quite some time now, just going verse by verse and seeing who Jesus is, and really um, even being challenged in some of our preconceived ideas. Maybe, maybe you grew up in the church, um, maybe you know some of the stories of the Bible, and you kind of have a general idea of who Jesus is. Well, it's been really encouraging to walk through Mark and see how Jesus interacts with people, how he trusts the Father, how he uh, has no, he, he's, he's not confined by social norms. He's went and gone to the broken and the outcast, and he's seen them for who they are. Loved by God, and he's called them in. He's also challenged those in authority. And, and that's where we've been sitting in the last couple of weeks. Jesus is challenging different groups of people that are in authority, religious authorities, those who would tell the people about who God is and what he's done. And Jesus comes, God in the flesh. And he tells them most of the time where they're wrong. And we see that today. Um, they're going to ask this hypothetical question. <laughs> they're going to ask a hypothetical question, and maybe you've done that before. Maybe you've come up with uh, some crazy question. I know um, my son Noah likes to do this with me. He, he asks a crazy question, and maybe there's not even a good answer, and it's, a, it's all hypothetical. But he's trying to prove a point. Well, that's what the Sadducees are doing here today. They're coming up with this crazy question, but it just so happens that the question is about the resurrection. And the resurrection is so important to what we say we believe that it, if it's not true, we're all doing this in vain. Like we just wasted a morning. But if it is true, then this is the most important thing that we will ever do. It's talk, encourage, believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And so the question is about the resurrection. So I pray that today, even as we come in with our, um, with our ideas of who Jesus is, that, that he would be God. That he would prove today that he is the God of the living. And that he would stir our affection for him in a way that, like, we would reorient our whole lives around it. Not just portions, not just certain times, not just certain days of the year, but that we, our whole life, where we live and where we play and where we learn and where we work, all of that would be situated around who this Jesus is and that we would be transformed. But to do that, we would have to have a miracle happen in our hearts. And so let's ask God to do that miracle today. Lord, would you by the power of your spirit, Lord, that we're talking about, that same spirit that had the power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you take our heart and our hardened hearts and would you soften them? Would you change our disposition so that when you through the course of our time together, tell us that we are wrong. We would not um, rebel and run away, but we would press in and say, God, I am wrong. And yet you are good, and you are righteous, and you are true. 
Lord, and that, that even in the hearing that, it would be good news. That your kindness would lead us to repentance today. And we know that we are asking for a miracle, but we know that you are the God of the living. So Lord, would you do that in us today? For your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hypothetical question. As with many hypothetical questions as we begin our time, um, it's, it's more of an argument and an accusation than it is a search or quest for truth and knowledge. And you're like me sometimes. Sometimes you're, you're, you're coming from a place of humility, not knowing the answer, and the questions that you ask would be seeking truth and knowledge. And sometimes you're coming because you think you already know the answer, and you just want to be confirmed in that. And I think that is more what the Sadducees are coming as today. It says, And the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a, man, if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. So that's the first two verses, but really in that first verse, Mark is telling us, Mark the evangelist, the one who's writing this gospel down, this good news of Jesus, he's telling us because the, the hearts of the Sadducees have already been exposed. He's telling us that they don't believe in the resurrection, according to verse 18. As we've talked, and I, I've got to do just a, a, a mi- tiny little bit of teaching here because we've talked about the Pharisees and the Herodians and now we're talking about the Sadducees and we've had words like the Sanhedrin thrown in there. But the reality is that there's different people, different groups of people, parties of those who are in charge, who are teaching the people about who God is and they have different beliefs. They have different things that they would definitely agree on and then they, or disagree on and then they have different things that maybe they would have different emphasis on. But these Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They don't believe any, any of the supernatural except that who God is. They don't believe in angels or demons or heaven or hell. And so they're coming to Jesus and they're challenging him with these questions. Remember the last week, the Pharisees and the Herodians thought that they had Jesus trapped. They came with this political question about taxes and who do we serve? Who's the authority here? Is it God or is it Caesar? And the question, just like this question, is not seeking knowledge and truth. It's seeking to trap Jesus. But Jesus showed that he is God, navigated it beautifully, led them to truth, called them to serve both those that God had put in authority over them and to serve the one true God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so he says, give to God what is God's and give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. And then they left, they're disappointed. They didn't trap him. And now the Sadducees are coming and they've got got a better plan. They're going to trap him by going to the Old Testament, going to the Torah. You see, their belief in Scripture was that only those first five books of the Bible were true Scripture, whereas the Pharisees would believe that all, the, all, all of Scripture, the law, but also the, the history books, the prophets, the Psalms, the, the poems, that all of that was Scripture. So that's another thing that they disagreed about. But Jesus goes to where the Sadducees say they believe, and in that he points out where they're wrong. 
You see this trap? Is a, is a man-made trap, but it's one that will eventually be executed by God himself. God knows that he is sending his son to be the savior of all the world, to go to the cross that we, that we thought about and we meditated on, on on Good Friday. That cross where Jesus bore our sin and our shame, that was the plan of God. So even as the Sadducees are, are, are falling into God's sovereign will there, we know that they're not the ones that are ultimately going to kill Jesus. It's God who sends his son to die for us. And so while the trap seemed... The trap seems airtight. We see Jesus once again navigating with a wisdom that, that we have access today to today by the power of the Spirit. I think sometimes we forget that. We think that we can't figure all this out, but God has given us everything in his word and the power of his Spirit that's in us to walk rightly before him. And it takes the miracle of faith, the miracle of trusting that that righteousness is sufficient, the miracle of repentance to do that. And so I pray that he would continue to do that in us today. Jesus shows us how to do that. This group of, uh, the, <clears throat> this group of leaders, the Sadducees, um, you see what made them unique in their religious beliefs is their view on Scripture and the resurrection. And so Jesus takes them and talks about the resurrection. They knew that Jesus had been talking about the resurrection. They even knew that Jesus has resurrected Lazarus. So they know what his stance is, and they're coming to argue that. And with that understanding, let's read verses 19 through 23. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't even believe in heaven. So all of this is being fabricated to try to trap Jesus. But here's the deal. The resurrection is real. Heaven is real. But what we're seeing is that just like these Sadducees who are making all this up, we come with an idea of what heaven is going to look like. And we try to lay that on who God is and what he has said. And sometimes we even do that with, with our earthly lives. We say, no, God, this is what my life should look like. If you are who you say you are, this is what my life should look like. But the reality is that if he, said, if he is who he says he is, then my life is going to look like whatever he has made it to be because he's sovereign, he's in control, and he's good. All of that's true. If I am in Christ, then he is in control of my life. But the Sadducees come and they have this idea of what heaven's going to look like. And so they ask the question, Kent Hughes sums it up in his commentary. He says, At the heart of their trick question was the custom of Leverite marriage. If a man's married brother died, he must marry the widow. This was an ancient custom which existed long before the law, and its neglect brought the scandal of Judah and Tamar. Its purpose was to keep a family from dying out and to keep family wealth intact. You see, as we first read this, we're like, that's really confusing. 
and seems ridiculous. When we read about the man who goes and marries his brother's wife, and it happens seven times in a row. But the reality is that God had instituted this. God had, had given this to, to his people to protect them, to care for them, because that is who God is. He loves his people. He cares for the widows and the orphans. So many times in Scripture, that is given to us. That, that as a response to who God is, we should do the same. We should look for the broken, the outcast, those who are on the outskirts of life, who no one else is caring for, and we should go to them because their God cares for them. The reality is that this practice and custom was one in which God and his people would care for and protect those who are vulnerable and defenseless. I have some passages from Deuteronomy 25, Genesis 38, and finally the story of Ruth, but we're not going to go through all of them, so they're in the notes. Feel free to look at them, and as you, as you want to understand some more about this Old Testament practice of who God is and what he was doing for his people and how he was caring for them, listen, God's not just this God that hangs out in heaven. He's a very practical God. He longs for us to genuinely care and take care of each other if we are his people. To read those. But that story in Ruth, I just, I just want to point that out. Like the, the idea of the kindred redeemer. And maybe you know the story, but, but Ruth, her, her husband had died. And so God orchestrates through the story that Boaz would come and redeem her. And it's a type, it's, it's this thing that's pointing to a, a true thing that would come, a redeemer who would finally come, but it's a story that we have that shows who God is. It's a type or an image of Jesus. And so this redeemer comes. The New Testament uses this term in reference to Jesus, whose death comes to represent both payment for sin and freedom for the believer. Jesus has reiterated this in the Gospel of Mark. We've seen it in both his words and his actions. His kingdom is one that is for the outcast, the broken, the needy, the sick, the lame, the sinners. That's good news, right? That's good news for us, us sinners gathered here together today, that his good news is for us. Mark 2.17 says that Jesus has come for those who recognize their need. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, the heart of God has always been for his people. And it's his heart that's most clearly expressed in his son, Jesus. And so today we remember who Jesus is. The, the second thing that we see here is the kindness of God to point to the Sadducees' error. He's very clear. He bookends it. He says, you are wrong. Is this not the reason you are wrong? You are quite wrong. Let's read it together. Read 24 through 27 with me. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. 
you are quite wrong. Is this not the reason you are wrong? You are quite wrong. They're wrong on two counts. They're wrong because they don't believe the scriptures and they're wrong because they don't believe the power of God. If anybody should know the scriptures, it's these guys. It's the people that are in charge, the people that are, that are teaching, right? And I say that recognizing immediately. <laughs> I'm teaching scripture, and I don't have it all. But the beauty is that the Spirit is dwelling in us, and he's teaching us together who he is. But these men, they, they came from a, a position of trying to place what they believed on who God is. And so Jesus confronts them and tells them that they're wrong. And he goes to the place where they believe the scripture to be true. He goes to the Torah. The, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. For us, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so um, Jesus goes and he goes to Exodus. And in Exodus, he pulls out this, the truth of the resurrection and it's beautiful the way that he does it. He takes him to Exodus to his covenant promise to Moses to expose their unbelief. We need to, to, to see and to say, God, when you expose my unbelief, that's a good thing. We don't need to run from that. We don't need to hide from that. We need to, to know that when God leads us to a place of repentance, it's his kindness that draws us there. The best place where we can be is a place where, where we say, God, I, I don't know, but I know that you're good and I know that you're true. And so, Lord, would you, would you do this work in me? Will you change me into your image for your glory? See, Jesus is exposing their unbelief, but their hearts are hard. He goes to God's promise to Moses, Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. I'm just going to read it for you. God is a covenant-keeping God. If you know the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you know that they are not noted as the fathers of, of, the, of the Jews and of the Israelites because they were good people. They were a mess. They had their problems, and yet God was faithful in his covenant to them. And so again, that's good news for us today. You don't have to get cleaned up. You don't have to come to him perfect. You come to him as you are, and he changes you by the power of his spirit. The same God who rose Jesus from the dead is changing us. And so, this covenant that he has to Israel, he says in verse 6, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. There's a truth here about who God is. He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He says, I am. That means that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob must still exist somewhere. They must still be alive. They must still, that covenant must still be intact because he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Otherwise, because he cannot lie, he would say, I was. But this is the power of God, that he is the God of the living and not the dead. So often, this has been true of humanity and of God's people, we profess, we, we come and we argue with God, we profess 
to know God, but we haven't sought Him. We haven't talked to Him. We haven't spent time with Him. We don't really care. Until something outside of us, some some cultural norm or some religious norm makes us pretend to care. But if God is true and if he's captured our heart, then he's capturing our affections too. He's capturing everything that we would hope and dream for. And those need to be bound up in him. The covenant keeping God. But instead, often like these Sadducees, we come and we rest on what we have, on what we think we know, rather than looking to God's scripture that he's given to us, his word that he's given. Like we have the diary of God to know who he is, to know what he said to be true. And we ignore it. We don't go to it. We don't think about it. It doesn't inform the way that we parent and the way that we live and the way that we work and the way that we play. But if, that's, if it's true that that's what we have, it should inform all of those things. And so I pray that God would make us into that people. That we'd be a people informed by Scripture. So they didn't believe Scripture. And then secondly, they didn't believe the power of God. Remember, they're asking these questions to trap and ensnare Jesus. He's already taught on the resurrection and he's even resurrected Lazarus. In, in the story of Lazarus' resurrection in John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Talking to Martha. That's his question that he has for us today. Do we believe that? Do you believe that you are so loved by a a God in heaven that he would, knowing that you could not bring anything to the table that would be worthy of him, he sent his son in your place? Do we believe that? You see, this is what we're celebrating today. The fact that all of this is true. The fact that His Word, His covenant to us is true. And we know that it's true because He resurrected from the dead. Anybody could say about a dead man, oh yeah, He was was the King of the Jews. He He was the Son of God. But it's not proven until he rises from the dead to say, yes, everything that I said is true. And here's the testimony of the the apostles. Here's the testimony of those who saw the risen Savior. So that today, we see the power of God. This is the power of God displayed for us. Jesus died for the sins of mankind in our place, in your place. Like, we can take this and we can make it very communal, but it's also very individual. In your place, he stood condemned. This morning, if you were in Christ, then the payment that Jesus paid on the cross is sufficient for you today. How do you know that's true? Because he rose again. Because the resurrected king Proved once and for all victory over sin and death. And so today, if you are in Christ, that's the best news that you're going to hear. And so I pray that we would believe that today. Because see, the the bad news is that just like the Sadducees, we too are wrong. And he'll continue to tell us. Like he tells us that first time and we run and we're like, God, you're right. I need a savior. 
And then we go out and we try to do it in and of our own strength again. And he reminds us again, you're wrong. You're not, do, you're not living the way that I've called you to live. And, but instead of bringing condemnation, he says, but I paid for it with my son on the cross. So now walk in my spirit. Now walk in the way that I've given you to live. Because there's no condemnation. It's easy for us to claim that all of this that we find in the Bible is, is true, but it's difficult to prove, but not for God. The proof is in the resurrection. This is where the power of God is most clearly displayed. It's where the proof that all of this is true. Paul says in his letter to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 through 14, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. See, all of this is tied together. This idea of heaven, this idea of the resurrection of the saints is all tied to the resurrection of Jesus. It's got to be true, otherwise all of this is in vain. But it's not in vain because Paul began that chapter with this testimony in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born. He appeared also to me. This is the testimony we have. We, we have a living God. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. This testimony that Paul's giving at that time He's saying, listen, there's 500 other people that saw him. You can go to them and you can hear their testimony and you can know that he's alive. And while we can't go back in a time machine and find that out, we can read his word and see the testimony of a risen king, of King Jesus. See, just as this was Paul's hope, it's our hope today. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Not only do we serve a living God, but we have a living hope in that God. A hope that is proven by the resurrection. A hope that is steadfast. A hope that, that we don't have to cling to because He's put it inside of us and He's the one who's faithful. He's going to hold on to us and keep us despite everything that we would try to do. If we are in Christ, He will be faithful to us. And so today we rejoice in His faithfulness. His faithfulness of an execution of the gospel plan that He would send His Son, that His Son would die, be buried, and rise again his faithfulness that that son is still actively praying on our behalf, mediating for us at the Father's right hand. His faithfulness that he sent his spirit to dwell inside of his church, inside of the believers, 
that we have God with us still today. And so today we have, we're left with this call, just like we are every Sunday. It's a call to repentance. Maybe this morning you come and, and, and you need to repent. You need to repent of um, not seeking to know the risen Christ. You've heard about it before, but it's not really that big of a deal. Like we have to repent. Like if this is true and this is the God incarnate, we want to know him. Repent for laying our own ideas on his truth. Maybe coming with your own idea of heaven, just like these Sadducees. And you, you try to impose that on God. And, and then when he says you're wrong, you, you harden your heart. And you say, no, I'm just going to cling to this thing. And so we need to repent of that. We need to say, God, I, I see in your word who you are. And I want to know you and I want to follow you with my whole life. We need to repent of our pressing further into rebellion instead of receiving the grace that he offers us. Because even though we are wrong, he has loved us with an everlasting love. So we need to repent. We also need to believe. We need to believe that Christ is risen. Like That needs to be something that's, that's true inside of us. Not just an idea, but something that we will go to every day. No, God, I can walk in your righteousness because you are risen. You are alive. We need to believe that God is the living and powerful God who brings the dead to life. Listen, there are, there's evidence of that in this pavilion right now. That many of us were dead. And my marriage was dead and God's given it life. That, that my kids were dead and God has given them life. That I was r- racing after my own pursuits. What I thought the good life was and God has shown me that that's dead and he's given me life. There's evidence here. We need to believe it. We need to, we need to share that with each other. We need to encourage one another and say, listen, like I had this way of thinking that God is changing through his word and now I'm believing it more and more. That's a miracle. It's something that we just think, oh, well, if you just read it and recite it enough, it'll happen. No, if it's changing our hearts, it's a miracle of a gracious and kind God. We need to believe that that's happening today. We need to believe that we who are in Christ live in him and through the power of his Holy Spirit. We have a work to do here. Not in and of ourselves, but we are called to, to see the broken, to see the hurting, to go to them. The widows and the orphans, those that are on the outskirts, just like we see Jesus doing. We go to the sinners with the good news that you don't, you, you don't have to fix yourself. You have a Redeemer who lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. We need to rejoice in our living hope in our powerful and living God. Lord, would you do that in us today? Lord, we thank you for the testimony that we have, that you are alive. Lord, sometimes we read this book and we, we don't treat it as um, maybe historically accurate, and we're just wrong in that, Lord. We, we pray that we believe that you are alive, that you are risen, 
That we would believe the testimony of the apostles and the saints who saw you. Lord, and that we would believe that if that's true, then all of your word is true and we need to shape our whole lives around that. God, would you stir in us a desire to know you, to love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we ask for this miracle today. Again, not so that we would be a people that people would point to and say, look at those good people, but we would be a people that, that they could point to and say, look at, they're doing something weird. They're talking about repentance. They're talking about how they don't have it together, but they, they seem to really believe that they have a God who is changing them. A God who does have it together. A God who is sufficient in every need that they have. Lord, would you make us into that people? Lord, and then would you send us out to share this good news, to believe it in our own hearts, to share it with those in our household, to share it with our neighbors, to share it with our coworkers. God, so that you would be glorified, that you would receive the glory that you are due because this story is beautiful. The story of the Redeemer. The one who has come, laid down his life. The innocent one who was punished as guilty for the guilty. God, but you didn't stay dead. You rose again, giving us life, showing the power of our God. God, do that in us today. We ask in your name. Amen.